Well, perhaps you've been like me and you notice the Christmas music has begun on the radio. Have you noticed that? And it's a religious experience for some to start hearing the Christmas music every, every season. So that's why a couple of radio stations around uh, town always convert themselves over to, to uh, Christmas music during the season. And a seasonal favorite of children everywhere is now playing regularly. And I kept thinking about it this week as I listened to Santa Claus is coming to town. You've heard the song, right? I, I, I suppose because of my theme, what I'm talking about this week, I heard it differently this week. And so uh, I, don't, I just want you to think about the lyrics. I don't know if you've pondered the lyrics of Santa Claus coming to town or not for a while. Uh, many of us, we hear it and it just like sails right past us or we just kind of hum along or whatever. But think about the lyrics, the meaning for a moment. You better watch out. You better not cry. Better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. He's making a list and checking it twice. Going to find out who's naughty and nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. And then it just embellishes. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. You better watch out. You better not cry. Better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. I don't know. I like Santa and all that. But as I listened to it this week, I just kept thinking, it just seems like Santa's doing a lot of evaluating, a lot of analysis, a lot of judging, you know, and, and we as a culture, we love that, don't we? We love that kind of thing. And I just thought, what would Jesus have to say about that? And actually, I knew what Jesus would have to say about it, because I was thinking about the text for today and where we were going as a as a church and as a congregation this morning. If you have your Bible, open it to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at what Jesus has to say here. If you've been with us the last several weeks, and I know some of you have, we're, we've been in a series that's entitled uh, 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 Help Me Understand Holiness, like a momentary, like, Help Me Understand Holiness is what we've been doing. You'd think after about 10 weeks of this that it would be you know, emblazoned, engraved in my head. Help Me Understand Holiness is what we've been talking about. And we've been listening to the, to the words that Jesus says, particularly in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, 7, those particular chapters, and we're just now getting into chapter 7. But if you follow the news at all, if you pay attention to the culture in which we live, you know we need desperately a fresh wave of holiness to wash over us all, don't we, as a culture? We need this in government. We need it in the media industry. We need it in the entertainment industry. We need it personally. I mean, I think every one of us needs a fresh wave of holiness to wash over us. And we've been learning from Jesus about holiness throughout this series. And today we're going to listen to him as he teaches us Matthew chapter 7. We're going to start at verse 1 and just follow along in your Bible or follow along on the screen with me if you would. This is what he has to say. Do not judge others and you will not be judged, Santa. No, I'm just, I'm sorry. He doesn't say it. It's, Santa's not in there. But do not judge others and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? And how can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you. Let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye. Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. 
Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls, then turn and attack you. And then a few verses down, verse 12, Jesus says this, Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Why don't you just say verse 12 with me out loud again. Read it with me. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Jesus is coaching his disciples here, coaching us to use caution, to use discretion and discernment, to be careful when we're making judgments, when we're drawing conclusions about other people. He wants us to understand that, that to do anything other than that is to set ourselves up to be hypocrites, to set ourselves up to be self-righteous, and to undermine everything that he has in mind has been talking to us, you know, this other chapter 6 and chapter 5 in Matthew. It undermines everything he's had to say to us about holiness. See, for many people, when they think of holiness, they think of somebody who is pointing out everybody's flaws. Okay? Jesus is saying, that's not holiness. That's something else. He addresses it in our text. And so for the next few minutes, what I want us to do is I want us to look at what Jesus has to say here and get clarity. And I hope people listening in will get clarity for what holiness is. Because it's not what our culture thinks it is. Something very different. And to make this clear, Jesus addresses two audiences of people here in the text. And for the next few minutes, I'm going to highlight these two audiences for you, kind of draw out some of what he's saying to them. He also, along the way, gives us three principles for living, and they're, they're relational principles that it's worthwhile for every one of us to take seriously. And so for the next few minutes, we're going to talk about these two audiences he's talking to, and then those three principles will apply it all, and uh, then we'll be done, okay? So uh, as we work our way through this, uh, just invite you, listen close, just see what applies to me, not, not just me, Greg, <laughs> what applies to you and me, what applies to us. And then just say, Lord, help me to grow in this area, wherever I need to grow, because I think every one of us can identify with the kinds of things that Jesus is saying here. The first audience that Jesus addresses here is what I am calling for, I have two names from. The first name is the, the opinionated. They're addressed here. We can also call them the self-righteous. The opinionated, the self-righteous, same thing, same text. Listen to what Jesus says to this group, verses 1 and 2. He's real direct, real, real quick, plain. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Now, I want you to think about this. People of our world who, who are not judging their lives by the standard of holiness that represents Jesus, they tend, to have, they tend to be less judgmental sometimes because they're not judging somebody expecting them to be sinless. This is a problem and a risk for those of us who are predicating our lives on, I want to become like Jesus. Because it's very easy to become opinionated and self-righteous because I'm 
I've set a standard higher than the norm. And I expect everybody else to start living up to my standard. You, you see how this works? I mean, how this becomes a problem? Jesus is, is saying, be careful about this. Don't judge others. You'll not be judged is sort of the beginning principle. But then he goes on and says, for you'll be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is a standard by which you will be judged. And so what happens to many of us when we hear what Jesus says here, those of us who are, who are following Jesus really trying to do this? A couple of things. We can become real judgmental and, and just become narrow-minded and mean, I mean, literally mean to other people. There are some Christian people we know, you know, who can be some of the most ruthless, mean, narrow, bigoted people on the planet. How does that happen? They're judging everybody they see by a standard of Jesus' character. Is that realistic? No. They can't even live up to it. Okay? You see? I can't live up to that standard. So to the opinionated, to the self-righteous, Jesus is saying, be very careful. But here's what happens in some of our minds. Some of us who are Christians, we think to ourselves, well, if I can't live up to that standard and nobody can live up to that standard, then, then here's what I'm going to do. I'm never going to judge anybody because I don't want it to come back at me. So my solution to this problem, I will judge no one. I'm not going to place a standard of expectation. Uh, I, I, no one's perfect. And there's a lot of Christians who operate in this kind of thinking. But I want you to listen to what Jesus himself says. I, I want you to understand that's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is not saying never judge anybody. Matthew 7, verses 15 and following. Like, just scoop down a few, few verses. Jesus says this, the same listeners, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. That's kind of judgmental, isn't it? To point that out. Okay. You can identify them, Jesus says, by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. Kind of a horticultural lesson here for us. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, Jesus illustrates, so you can identify people by their actions. He's just saying you just, you just look at somebody's life and the way they live and the things that they do, and you can, you can understand things. Does that sound like Jesus is saying never judge anybody? No, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying that. He's saying, judge, expose false prophets, people who claim to be wise, who claim to be teachers. Expose them. Judge them. That's what he's saying. Use discernment. He expects us to be discerning. Here's another passage. Uh, I want you to listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, and uh, 9 to 13. You can follow along on the screen. If you're quick, you can flip there. But uh, this passage says, I can hardly, Apostle Paul writing, writing back to the church in Corinth, he says this, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you. Is that not judgmental to even point that out? Is, that, is it not? Who has the right to say what's sexual immoral or not? Well, 
did not the Ten Commandments clarify some of this? Of course, we know that did. But notice what he goes on and says. I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you, something that even pagans don't do. I'm told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. And you're so proud of yourselves. But you should be mourning and sorrow and shame, and you should remove this man from your fellowship. He goes on and says, When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people, verse 9 and following, who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or, or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You'd have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I meant that you're not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people, the scriptures say. Then he goes on and explains, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders. I mean, those who are not a part of the family of God, he says. But it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside your church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside. But as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. That's a quotation from the Old Testament. Does that passage and others like it, we could read, does it sound like we should never judge anyone? Of course not. That's not what Jesus is saying. That's not what the entirety of Scripture says. What it does highlight for us, though, is we need to be discerning about who, who gets on the naughty and nice list. It's kind of what he's talking about here. Verse 11, he just says, I meant, in Corinthians there, he says, I meant that you're not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer, yet indulges. Anyone who is in a pronounced, unrepentant lifestyle of, that's what the text is saying, sexual sin or greed or the worship of idols or is abusive in that way or a drunkard or cheats people What's Jesus mean really by all this? When he says, don't judge others and you won't be judged, he's just saying, judging is a dangerous thing. So be careful with it. He's not saying don't do it. He's saying being gentle, grace-filled, truth-filled patient, kind about it. The principle that he's driving at here that shows up in these first verses is really this. People will generally treat you like you treat them. You ever notice that? I mean, that whole idea shows up right here in chapter 7. He's just saying the standard that you treat, that you judge others, they'll judge you. We weep, we reap what we sow. So judge cautiously. You know, this whole principle, I could talk a lot more about this. I'm, most of you know that that's true. Um, it reinforces the Old Testament idea that a person was innocent until proven guilty. I mean, this is not the passage that says that this is the passage this is one of many passages that reinforce that idea you find that in the old testament that concept 
interestingly enough, some of us think the Old Testament is very judgmental. It's, it's really not. It's just that we're very unholy in our day. So, first audience, the opinionated, the self-righteous, who are quick to judge and sometimes by a standard that they have no interest in measuring up to but are quick to want to apply to other people. Jesus is saying, don't, don't live that way. That's not holiness. It's not holiness. He speaks to a second audience, though, here in the text who's making judgments whether they realize it or not, and he actually refers to them sort of by name in a, in a way in the text, and that's what we could call hypocrites. Hypocrites. Or... or let me, let me use another term that helps us see them in action. Meddlers. You ever heard that word? Meddlers. These are people who make their concern for others so high in their minds that, they, that they're just prompted to coach you and correct you and help you be more perfect like they are. This is the hypocrite. They know best for you on everything. They're compulsive about it. It's not like coming alongside of you and saying, hey, you know, have you ever thought about... No, that's somebody that's just being helpful. This is a person who's compulsive about it. It's like they, every time you see them coming, you go, what word of wisdom does this person bring with him or her? You see what I'm saying? You know anybody like that? Anybody's ever been prone to that? This is a real, it's a big trap for parents. I see this in my own life at times. It's like parents, you, you start out teaching your children young. As they get older, it's kind of like the, the, the temptation is to always have a word of wisdom for them without recognizing that, doggone it, sometimes they just got to make some mistakes. Sometimes they don't want to hear my pearls of wisdom. You ever heard that phrase? comes from the text. That's where it comes from. To this group of folks, Jesus says this, Matthew 7, verses 3 and following, Why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? Now, this is intended to be funny, okay? When Jesus says this, he meant it to be funny. I mean, he was, ex- he was, he was exaggerating for the purpose of memory and humor. This past week, we saw a picture uh, uh, yesterday on a, on a wall. We were Grizzly Industrial Tools. I don't know if you've ever been down Springfield. We were coming back from Branson, saw the Christmas lights at Silver Dollar City. Shameless plug for that. It's pretty cool. But anyway, uh, we're on our way back. We stopped at Grizzly Industrial Tools. They had these big pictures that of uh, th- some of their early, early industrial tools. These, you know, they'd have this tree, a giant sequoia tree that was from out on the West Coast, they had cut it down, and there were, I don't know, like 30 men, I mean, grown, burly, strong men who chopped this thing down with axes, okay? I couldn't do it with a chainsaw, okay? You and me together couldn't do it with chainsaws. We'd kill ourselves, you know, somehow or another. If it wasn't the tree, it'd be the chainsaw kicking back on us or something. These guys, they chopped this thing down with the tree. The tree is laying flat on the ground. It is massive. I mean, you could, it's like as big as this whole stage area here. And they're all laying on this tree in this photo, this old, old photo. And you just go, that's, 
That's crazy huge tree. I mean, literally, some of these trees are so big. If you've ever been out to the Sequoia National Park, some of these places out in California, uh, Seattle, those areas, you can drive cars through the trunks of the trees. Massive, massive things. So Jesus picks up on this idea. He's basically saying, why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you got a sequoia tree in your, in your own eye? I mean, this is, this is the picture that he's trying to evoke here. How can you think of saying to your friend, here, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye? This is, he's probably not quite that mocking in the way that he does it, but, because that's not his nature like it is mine sometimes. But he, he's, he's trying to convey this idea of the ridiculousness of trying to help somebody else with a speck. You know, they got a little hair lash, a little... In their, in, in their contact, you know, and you've got a sequoia tree in your eye. This is ridiculous, Jesus is saying. It's absurd. And he even says, hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye, Jesus says. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They'll trample the pearls, turn and attack you. Jesus is just alluding to a second principle here, really. And it's important for us to understand this. And if you can just embrace this as a general rule for yourself, it will will help you as it's helped me, I think, over the years. And here it is. People generally tend to overestimate others' flaws and underestimate their own. We all have this tendency to think, you're a little worse than I know, and I'm a little better than you think. This is, the, this is, this is human nature. And, and part of what Jesus is trying to convey here is that the exact opposite is true. I'm, I'm worse than I think, and you are probably better than I think. We would go through life with this general principle, this general perception of people that, that others are better than I am, and I'm a little less, I'm, I'm more messed up than I even know, if we would go through life that way, it would not only contribute to humility in our hearts, it would improve our relational dynamics, it would also help us to grow in holiness, because we'd be less prone toward hypocrisy. So Jesus is saying, you know, the key here is fix yourself. If you're prone to try to help everybody else with their problems, if you've got a word of wisdom for everybody, Jesus is saying, time out on that. Fix you. Fix the speck in your eye that you think is a speck that's really a sequoia tree. Fix that. You'll be better they'll be better because guess what? Whenever I fix the log in my own eye, I see you differently. I see everything differently. The great irony is that suddenly I see. I can see. I was thinking of this. I remember all these little cliche kinds of things. Some of us are familiar with them. Some of them are not. Sometimes they're helpful just to trigger things in our minds. You ever heard the saying, 
Whenever you point a finger at somebody, what do you got pointing back at you? Three. If I'm pointing at you, you got this going on. I got three fingers coming right back at me. One, two, three for every one. If I'm like an overachiever and I'm pointing with my thumb and my finger, I got still got, I'm still outnumbered. I know it's stupid, but that's, it's just, it's, the point is, you know, remember. Remember that we've all got our flaws. You've heard the saying, people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones, right? It's just to say that every one of us is flawed to the core of our beings. We are more messed, I am more messed up than I know. And you are better than I know. And the reverse is true. From your perspective, I am better than you know. And you are more messed up than you know. This is just the principle of life. As we embrace it, it helps us avoid hypocrisy. Now, let's look at, for a second at verse 6, because verse 6 is a puzzling verse to some of us. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs or to swine, as the Old Testament says, the, the King James says, the Old King James says. They will trample the pearls, then turn and attack you. You know, what's Jesus really saying here? Let me just say right up front, this is a bit... This one instance, I love the New Living Translation. This is one instance where I, one instance where I don't like it so well. It's sort of an unfortunate translation. A, a more literal translation actually makes more sense in this particular instance. It makes more sense what the NIV and some of the other translations, the older ones use, where it says something more like this. Don't give what is holy or what is sacred to dogs. Don't throw your pearls to pigs or to swine. They will trample the pearls and then turn and attack you, these other translations say. And Jesus was really just illustrating in this instance. He was just saying, let's, uh, let's imagine that you got a pack of hungry dogs or a, a whole pen of hungry swine, pigs, and you're coming into the pen and you got the two stone tablets that God with his own finger wrote the Ten Commandments on. So you show up, they're, they're starving hungry, and you come into their presence with the stone tablets of how they should live. You know, well, you know, we're not supposed to do this, and we're not supposed to. What's going to happen to you? They, they don't care about the stone tablets, right? What, what, is, what is going on here? All they care about is what's going on in their stomach, their appetite, what, they're, what they hunger for now. And so Jesus is just trying to help those of us who have this proclivity to want to coach and correct everybody around us. He's just saying, you know, if, if the teaching on hypocrisy doesn't get your, your attention, Jesus is saying, well, just look at the practical side of it. From a practical standpoint, if you show the Ten Commandments to swine, they're going to trample the Ten Commandments and hurt you. And he's saying that's how people are. We know that to be true. How do we know that? Jesus was holiness incarnate. He was love and goodness in the flesh. What did they do to him? He came to show us how to live. 
Was he greeted with joy and enthusiasm? No, no. He was crucified and abused and mocked. And and his point is, same will happen to you. It's not justification for ignoring holiness or treating it as unimportant. It's just an acknowledgement that we may have the best ideas in the world, but if people that we're trying to help aren't asking for that, if they're not hungry for that, wisdom meets them where they are, not where we wish they were. Holiness meets them where they are, not where we wish they were. Principle number three is that our well-intentioned advice, correction, charity is likely to result in our injury unless people want it, unless they're asking for it. So if we're worried for someone the trajectory of their life, the values they've embraced, the the choices they're making. Should we do nothing? Of course not. What does Scripture tell us to do? Jesus doesn't leave that to our imagination because if we had time this morning, we would read verses 7 to 11 of Matthew 7, which we'll look at those verses next week. He goes on and talks about prayer. If you'll ask, you'll receive. If you'll seek, you'll find. If you'll knock, the door will be open to you. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. We pray for people like that. That's what people who are holy do. They pray. They lift those needs to God. So... One more verse, like a verse 12, because then he goes on and talks about what do we do beyond that. This is a great verse, worthy of memorization. Jesus says, just do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. It, it sort of has a familiar ring to where Jesus says in verse 2, you'll be treated as, other, you'll be treated as you treat others. Doesn't that sound familiar? It's amazing how our culture, we like verse, two, verse 12. We want to ignore verse 2. You know, verse 2, it's in the context of evaluating and judging life, analyzing that, ours and others. He's just saying, if, holy people treat others, do unto others as they wish others would do unto them. That's really all they do. So let's wrap this up here. And make it really practical, okay? If you were being accused of sexual harassment right now, if you were being accused of collusion with a foreign government, if you were being accused of bullying somebody, I could make a long list of these things, by the way, that are like right now stuff going on. How would you want the media to treat you? How would you want coworkers to treat you? How would you want friends to speak of you? 
How would you want total strangers to treat you? What Jesus is saying here, go unto others as you would like it to be done unto you. It's the bottom line. Judge them as you'd want to be judged. Treat them as you'd want to be treated. Think of them as probably better than you assume and yourself worse than you assume. Consider the fact that you may not know all the facts. Just think about all these things. That's what Jesus is saying. Because this is how our Heavenly Father looks toward us when He knows all the facts. We're to be perfect, as Jesus says in Matthew 5 and 6, like He's perfect in this respect. He's not saying we should never should never be consequences for attitudes or behavior, whether it's in politics or in families or in churches or in any number of places. He's not saying there's, there's no consequences. What he's saying is he's saying be cautious, be caring, because holy people are careful about making judgments. That's what holy people are like. They're not self-righteous hypocrites. They're humble, grace-filled, and yet truth-filled people of God. I guess my closing question for you is, what will you do to remember and put into practice what, what Jesus says here? This is the challenge for us, isn't it? We know these things. It's, the problem is, is that tomorrow the news, or, well, I can go to tomorrow. This afternoon we'll go home in between you know, quarters in the Chiefs game. There's going to be some news blurb and you're going to be tempted once again to just go off on somebody who you don't know and you truly, you and I don't know if they did what they're being accused of and if ever there was a time that, uh, that it's all blurry, what's truth and what's fiction, this is one of those times. So how do you remember? How do, how do you remember what Jesus is saying here? You know, several years ago, uh, Ernie Trammell, who was part of the church, many of you know Ernie, uh, he gave me this little marble here. Uh, it's, we'll put it up on the screen here. It was made by the Samsonite com- uh, company. It was sort of a, uh, a values statement made by the Samsonite company seemingly centuries ago. I, you know, I don't think it was that long ago, decades ago. But, but it, it seems like when you think of today's business community and the nature of our world, it just seems like for a company to do this and to put on the band uh, around it, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And they gave this to all of their employees, their staff, they gave it to clients and customers and they, just everywhere they went. And it, it kind of multiplied and, uh, because a lot of people viewed this as really, it's, it's good business and it's just good relationships and, and all those kind of things. And Ernie used to do a lot of training and he would take these. and uh, the, the ones like I've got here, like he gave me, are really hard to come by. But, uh, but he would take one similar to this. And at the end of the training, he would use the illustration of these marbles that uh, Samsonite would made for all of their employees. And he, at the end of his training, he would give these marbles to, uh, to his students in his classes. As a reminder, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you.
encouraging them to put it in some place prominent in their desk or in their, in, their, in their desk or on their desk or someone someplace prominent as a reminder. In the heat of business and deal-making and relational turmoil and goals and getting close to goals but not quite there yet. In the midst of all these kinds of times that we all live with, a reminder of the golden rule, the royal rule of love. Do to others as you'd have them do unto you. I wish I had one of these for every one of you. I guess my request of you is, what can you identify in your world, in your sphere of travel, something of this sort to remind you? You put it in some place prominent. Maybe it's on your desk at work. Maybe it's you know, on your dresser at home. Maybe it's in the kitchen. Maybe it's in your car. Maybe it's in your pocket. I, you know, I don't know where. Maybe it's a picture, a painting that reminds you. Maybe it's this verse memorized. What will you do? To remember, to remember the way holy people live. I guess one thing I hope is a reminder to you is part of why I started with the goofy Santa Claus is coming to town song. I have this little secret urge. That every time you hear that song, sung and played this Christmas season, it's simply because we talked about it here, the golden rule will come to mind. You can tell Santa every time you hear it, Santa, embrace the golden rule. You can tell your children that. You can tell your grandchildren that. And uh, I promise you if you do, God will be blessed. Their lives will be too. And you'll be blessed. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. I'm going to close in prayer this morning. Before we pray, though, um, I guess in the spirit of that, you know, maybe you came this morning and you thought to yourself, you know, I am on you know, God's naughty list. You know, I know that. And if that's you, you know that's you and your spirit if you felt that way just want you to know this morning, as we've already communicated during communion in so many other places, that there is a God in heaven who cares deeply for you. And he came so that he could erase your name from that kind of a list. And so he could write your name in the Lamb's book of life. A book that will stand for all eternity. And if your name is written there, you have the blessing of sins forgiven and Life eternal. You have the promise of the Holy Spirit filling you if you'll invite him to. And as we think about this season of year, I mean, this is why Jesus came. Just look heavenward and just say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need you desperately. Cleanse me, make me yours. And I can guarantee you, he will hear that prayer every time. Because that's why he came. Let's bow our heads and pray, and then we'll be dismissed. If you've got prayer need for something else afterwards, some of us will hang around down here and pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for every person here. Thank you for every person listening in, for, for the faith that's represented just by being here, for the desire to walk in your ways that's represented by listening, taking seriously what you've said in your word. 
Would you forgive us for the many times that it gets fuzzy in our minds and we kind of go off on our own way? All of us have done that. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have made it possible not just for our sins to be forgiven, but for us to walk in holiness by the power of your Spirit. And you not only encourage us to do that, you teach us how to do that in your word. Help us, O God, to do that. Would you make a difference in our world as we do it? Father, would you help our world to see the difference between hypocrisy and holiness and to not discount holiness simply because it's not been tried often or valued as it ought to be? Would you draw our world toward it? Would you send us a fresh wave of your Holy Spirit across our land, across our businesses, our homes, across our world, O God? We're in desperate need of more of you. Would you help us to be lights and ambassadors, emissaries of your way of living everywhere we go this week? Help us to represent you well. Thank you for every person in the sound of my voice, God. May your spirit fill them and strengthen them. And we'll give you credit for every good thing that happens. It's in our blessed name of Jesus that we close this prayer. Amen. Amen. Bless you all.